This episode is powered by Safety FM. Welcome to the Safety Consultant Podcast. I am your host, Sheldon Primus. Happy 2023. Believe that is 2023 already. So glad that you're with me. It's been a real good year. <laughs> yes, only uh, four days in, right? So as you could tell, since I said that is the morning of January 4th, 2023. I want to welcome you to the show. If this is the first time you're listening to us, thank you. And by yes, I mean me. It's going to be worth your while. It's going to help you out. I'm going to help you with the business of being a safety consultant, teach you some OSHA compliance stuff. I'm going to interview some great guests like I do have today as well. That's the stuff that I do. It's what I do around here, man. <laughs> That's so funny. All right. So I've got a real, 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 real special treat for you guys. But before that, I just want to remind you to like and subscribe this podcast wherever you're listening it to. Wow, to me. Uh, just whatever you have to do to make sure that you get all the notifications uh, related to when I am doing a show or anything similar to that. Uh, sometimes I pop up a, a special episode on you guys every now and then. And then also it help will also bring some people to the show, which will be awesome. You know that algorithm thing that we all been talking about everybody in this industry you know it's like uh it's like um you say oh it's the algorithm and in the back of everybody's mind we're like the algorithm <laughs> so that's why everyone likes to you know make sure you like and subscribe and also be part of the podcast as best as you can through uh, talking and whatever uh, you're listening to. They have a way to either uh, respond to me by either emailing me and uh, the way to get to that would be safetyconsultantpodcast.com and then you're going to look at the very top icons and you're going to see a microphone icon and you hit that one and that's a way that you could actually talk to me. And the other way is uh, through your actual, um, whatever you're listening to me on, go ahead and leave a review over there. And that's my way of, your way of just letting me know that you're there and all the fun stuff, you know. And if you have not shared the show with a friend, go ahead and do that. So they could hear the rantings of a mild, uh, of a madman's mind. <laughs> All right. Well, again, thank you for listening. Welcome to 2023. This episode that we have is a special one. I'm interviewing Stan Smiley. And uh, if you have not heard the name before, you may not be in the oil and gas industry, uh, but uh, he is very, very renowned in the field. He's uh, ex-Air Force, he worked for um, a lot of the oil and gas industries uh, throughout the Gulf Coast area and Texas area. Uh, he's certified NCCR. 
AER, field safety tech, certified safety tech, any of your PEC safety, land training and core trainer, JSA trainer, H2S, and that's a whole nother situation which we're going to talk about, like we're going to spend a whole bunch of time on. It's talking about his H2S side, but he's also certified with uh, GHS training and pipeline trainer, incident commanding, MSHA trained, Haswhopper 840, so you get a kind of a feel for the vast amount of experience that we're about to hear in this interview. Uh, and in particular, we talk about hydrogen sulfides because you may not know, but Stan Smiley is only one of 41 currently certified master hydrogen sulfide master instructors. And there's only 123 worldwide. So we talk about his sulfide experience and, and about that hazard itself. I've been aware of the hazard for many long time because of my experience in water and wastewater and collection systems and everything else. As some of you that are listening to the show, uh, you've heard my story a few times, I would imagine, right? So that's a concentration in really low levels. Oil and gas extraction, they're going to have sulfide levels that are, you know, very, very much greater than what we're used to. And we talk about that in this interview. Now, in Stan being a master trainer, uh, we talk about training in the interview. We talk a little bit about um, just how are you as a trainer relating to your audience and some of the things that, you know, the philosophy behind being a great trainer. We talk about that. And we actually just really dig into the sulfides and the hazard itself as, you know, I am just truly, truly um, into science, if you would, and the science of hydrogen sulfide exposure and what it does to the body and everything else is um, intriguing to me. And it makes, you know, just even more dangerous uh, than I have thought before in the concentrations I've been used to. So in this interview, I had to break it up into two separate interviews. I was actually only going to do it in one, but it was like so many gems. And I was like, I did not really want you guys to, to miss any of these gems that's coming from this man that's been so generous with his time. Uh, so I am going to break it up into two episodes. You're going to get the first one this week. And then next week, you're going to get uh, the part two. And at the culmination of... Uh, the episodes, uh, you're going to hear that Stan and I are going to do an event together. So I want you guys to know ahead of time that uh, we are going to do an event. If you want to see about it, I'm only hosting the event, but I'm actually going to be a student of the event as well. So through, uh, remember I was telling you guys about my brother and I's company, Primus Global Media. We're hosting events now. And if you're interested in having an event hosted for you, then let me know. Send me an email. We're truly two brothers just getting new into this. So uh, we're still new. So, you know, honestly... Uh, that's just for the marketing side. Uh, we don't have everything out like we want to. However, for the event side, uh, we're not new. Uh, on the event side, I've been doing, and you guys have been with me the whole journey, watching me host my own event after event and the Safety Consultant 101 and uh, other events like that. And together, 
uh, we decided that let's do it together as brothers in 2023. So I'm just letting you guys in on, on it early. So um, I'm also letting you know that with uh, the uh, the thing that I'm going to be doing with Stan, which is actually you know me hosting, but I'm also going to be a student of uh, H2S uh, um, Instructor Development Course. So for hydrogen sulfide, an instructor development course. So this would be the train the trainer course, if you will. So when you get done and you get your certificate here, you now will be a trainer for hydrogen sulfide. So as me as a consultant, I'll use that with my business and uh, with training. Uh, but and people who are actually in the field, especially since this is going to be a full online event. So therefore, we're opening it up international. And you'll be able to uh, take this class as well, and you will be a trainer trainer where you are. Now, that is the idea. For more information, go to primus.training. That's primus, my last name, P-R-I-M-U-S, dot training. And if you have a problem with the dot training extension, because some people may have some sort of block or whatever, you could also go to primuswebinar.com. So primuswebinar.com. And again, my last name is Primus, P-R-I-M-U-S. So it's going to be primus.training or primuswebinar.com. And both ways, depending on if you get your extension or not, you can get on the, the interest list. And uh, the event we're going to host in February, and it's going to be the 15th, 16th, and 17th in February. It's going to be a two-and-a-half-day to three-day event. So I just want to at least let you guys know that because I am not going to come back on at the end of this interview. It's just they're so good. I want you guys to get the, the full, you know, of peel and of, of Stan Smiley and his genius. And I, I'm so appreciative that he uh, came into my life. He's been following my career for about a year or so on a link to, uh, excuse me, on a Facebook group that I host with uh, Jay Allen of Safety FM. If you go to facebook.com forward slash groups, and that's groups with an S, forward slash safety consultant. And there you could uh, go ahead and become part of the group. You just have to answer three basic questions, which we use for making sure it's people out there and not bots. And uh, there's currently about 3,000 members, international members in the group. So uh, don't matter, no matter where you are, it's okay. You can join this group if you have uh, access to Facebook. And that's where me and Stan met. And I've been in communication the last year or so. And truly, I am just uh, honored by him wanting me to work with him on this project and then also to have him be interviewed by me. So you guys will be just uh, floored by this man's experience and his just graciousness. All right. So I will see you next week when we do part two. Go get him. Good morning. I'd like to uh, tell you how much I appreciate uh, you reaching out. My name is Stan Smiley. I have five-star safety consulting. I've been in the safety world for a very long time. Uh, you have been really, like, uh, I've been looking at the uh, your your 
uh, profile and, and on LinkedIn and everything, you've been in quite a long time is, is, is a, a understatement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have. And I, I branched out in an awful lot of directions in my years. Uh, I started in the refining world in 1972. I was with him for 22 years. Uh, I was on the uh, emergency alert team or response team for about 21 of those years. The last uh, 10 years I was there, I was in charge of response on shift, uh, actually going out and setting up the fire truck, evaluating the situation, taking care of any medical and and those type of responses. Uh, been in some very interesting situations, three pretty good fires and one explosion, and I've always managed to make it out unscathed. Uh, and I try to do that when I do my training. Uh, a lot of people just don't understand the fight or, fight or flight, and uh, they, they respond incorrectly. Hmm. Um, for your career with oil and gas, uh, you, you've been doing uh, probably extraction. Uh, is it just, uh, distribution as well? I've, uh, I haven't had a, a lot. And, and you're talking about the drilling world? Uh, yes, sir. Okay. Yeah, I... I got out in the drilling world, uh, I guess, about 2010. Uh, I've worked as safety manager for companies. I've uh, I've actually sat on the drilling rigs. At one time, I was over seven drilling rigs, uh, the safety on it. And normally, that's on a 14-14 a schedule where you rotate. Uh, was during the Eagleford days. We uh, it was a, a real busy, pretty stressful time. Uh, a lot of interaction with the community. Uh, most of the time, when you're in the drilling world, you're out in some rather remote locations. And down in South Texas, it's not uncommon to have a whole lot of ground in between. Uh, I. I had rigs that were 80, 90 miles away, and wow. so I'd have to respond to, to all of that and actually be on the floor when they were doing the production casing. And uh, in those days, the early days, uh, a, a normal well would be 33 days uh, from the time that they hit the ground with the bit until they put the tree up. And about a three to five million dollar budget uh, with directional drilling and 3D seismograph. They ended up bringing that down to about 12 to 15 days, wow. a million dollar budget, which meant that the one safety guy stretched out for 90 miles was not sleeping much. Yeah. Uh, it, it, a very busy time in those days uh the big companies wanted to know how real the 10-year projection was for that shale they hired an independent consultant i believe she was from a norwegian country 
And she came in and she did her evaluation. And her report was, yes, the shale can withstand the 10 years of production. But one thing that is really big is that the oil field companies and those, the service companies, are going to have to be good stewards. They're going to have to take care of the small towns that they impact because it makes a major impact. And I try to teach people when I train uh, what you do, what you say, has a real strong possibility of an impact that ripples out a long ways. One particular town that we were close to, those people could run the stop sign in the middle of town. In the middle of town was one little grocery store and a, a gas station, a, a mailbox, and two, two uh, restaurants, and they could run that stop sign and not have to worry about getting hit. And when the shale hit big, you could sit at that stop sign for 10 minutes. And then they end up having to put a Ford, I mean, a, wow. a traffic signal. So all of a sudden, those ranchers that were leaving the house to go get a loaf of bread and could be back in 20 minutes, they may be there two hours. And not everybody is getting royalties off of production. Wow. And so... Yeah, your impact is pretty strong on the communities. Uh, I try to do training, especially in those type of communities on hydrogen sulfide, and I try to teach the responders. Those people that might get a, a call to respond to a rig because a rig hand got hurt, uh, they don't know what to, to be worried about. They don't know the questions to ask. Uh, and they go running in, you know, a, a fireman goes running in with a hose or a fire extinguisher, and the EMS goes running in with a, a load of crash bag, well, maybe they need to know which way to go in there. And so I try to teach that. I've, I've, taught, uh, I've taught several counties, and uh, then there was a shop safety class at a high school in Creative Springs, I taught 69 of those kids and certified them. So it's just trying to do things that complement the company, complement the people, and complement us in the safety world. Hmm. Once you said um, uh, the, your impact to the community, automatically I was thinking like uh, like the fracking water and how when that goes into the environment, it it's going to affect the, the local community. But I didn't even think about the traffic and I would imagine food services and medical care and everything else is all that is impacting that community. That's correct. Uh, I, did a, I did a training session for the first responders of McMullen County. I've done it twice now. But the people were late showing up. And I asked they, you know, they volunteered. We, we had an H2S event. And, of course, since I've trained that and I have a real passion for it, I asked for information. And it was out on a road. It was a county road, but it was a dirt road. And you could be out there where that all was originated from and not see a production site, not see a drilling rig, not see a tank battery, you didn't see anything that said oil on it. Hmm. And the man was out there doing dust control with a, with a vacuum truck spreading water on the road 
for dust control. Ended up going down. The responders got a, got the call. And so my first question to them was, what kind of information did you get when you received the alert? Uh, usually, oftentimes, they're not given the sufficient information. And it doesn't matter if it's fire. It doesn't matter if it's medical, uh, law enforcement. They don't get the they don't get the proper information. Yeah. And I know you being safety business like myself. Normally, when we start looking for root causes of a problem, it goes to lack of information or poor information. And you try to teach these people. They went out there. They responded to the man. Uh, two of the responders, because he, they were checking to see if he was breathing, they were trying to find out if they needed to do CPR, so they get their head down close to him. And when they did, they got ill. And it was from H2S exposure. In the H2S world, we teach that any temperatures over 90 degrees and wind over 10 miles an hour are favorable for H2S dispersion. So you shouldn't have to worry about that. I know from the locations that it probably took them 10 or 15 minutes to respond because it's all volunteer and then probably 15 to 20 minutes to get where they had to go. So you're looking at over 30 minutes, and that doesn't make sense until you still start going in there and investigating and start kind of dissecting it. They had to call life flight for him. If that helicopter had motors turning when he got the call, it was 45 minutes. When he got out there, were afraid to load him in the helicopter because they were afraid he would go down because of H2S exposure. And what we finally realized is the man was using the water, putting it on the roads, and probably either broke the law and used produced water, which is infamous for having H2S uh, in, in it, or he didn't wash the inside of that vacuum truck. And when he put fresh water in there and he was driving out there, it's sitting there sloshing back and forth and scrubbing whatever H2S is clinging to the walls. And now he's putting H2S down on the, on the, on the road. And H2S is broken free by agitation and heat. It was over 95 degrees out there. And the agitation was the, the product hitting the, water, the the ground. And so it was it was puzzling for a little while, but interesting. I love I love challenges. And uh just a day in the H two S trainer world. Wow. Now so in this case, it looks like uh, me, you know, I, I know H2S because of my background in wastewater treatment, but that's so much, our concentration is so far less than what you see in oil and gas that I, I don't really get this situation much whenever I'm dealing with my uh, wastewater clients. But it sounds to me that the H2S is getting um, dissolved in the water or at least um, it, to some degree, but then it 
breaks up again, either by agitation. So that's telling me that it's uh, it's some sort of um, like maybe a, a oxygen thing that it's releasing. So uh, so something is going to bind to the oxygen, releasing the H2S. Uh, so from H2O to H2S, I'm imagining that uh, you're creating maybe extra water or something and more sulfides when it's being released under pressure or heat. H2S is liquid soluble. It attaches to water. It attaches to crude. It attaches to anything that is moist. I teach when we're worried about people being exposed to H2S, because H2S is looking for moisture into the person, it gets into your sinus cavities, up your nose, down your throat, actually on the... uh, lubricating factors of your eyes, anything that has to do with H2S, when you have a when you have an exposure, if you look at it, even in fairly mild concentrations, the victim initially, if it's a fairly strong exposure, uh, they all complain about burning. Their eyes are burning, their nose is burning. Their throat is burning because when the H2S hits that liquid, it starts diluting and it forms a mild acid. And it gets down in your lungs. It does a lot of things. In the water treatment that you're talking about, you know, they have agitators in there. Yes. And when you go in there, it's constantly spraying, agitating that, and it's trying to break a lot of stuff free. They have bugs, like, and it's, it's actually microorganisms that go in there and eat the the solids and, and a lot of that stuff. Uh, but you don't know normally how efficient it's doing as far as H2S. There are two cases that I know of in particular. One of them was out there in Florida where you're from. Another one was up in the Panhandle of Texas, and I think there was one in El Paso where the people went out there to do work on probably pumps. Mm-hmm. And normally when you look at water treatment, the ones that I have seen have been down on low levels, maybe down a hill or, or what have you, and, and kind of remote because of the smell. Mm-hmm. And the two people that were working in in the panhandle of Texas, they were told that it was a gassy environment. So they took their SCBA, self-contained breathing apparatus, uh, with them. They had monitors. They had a forecast meter. But all of that stuff was up on the hill. They were downhill working, and they didn't show up to clock out. They went looking for them, and they were dead. Uh, there's a lot of things wrong with that. And most of the time, when you start getting into the H2S world, you find that either poor or no equipment as far as PPE, very poor training, if any. And it's, it's really hard to convince an adult, especially an adult male, and when you get into the oil field world, those are macho times 10, that you need to be scared of stuff you can't see. You need to be scared. And how do you 
care of yourself. You take care of yourself through proper training. And I tell them that your, your strongest PPE item is your brain. Use your brain to evaluate your training, evaluate the situation, and use it in a fashion that you want to go home that day. Uh, it's, it's, it's a tough deal. Uh, I, I tell people, you know, how many of y'all have kids and they all raise up their hands? I said, how many of you have spanked your little kids because they run out the driveway to, the to go in the road? Uh-huh. And they almost all their hands. I said, all right, now tell me, any of you, have you seen a car hit a child going down the driveway? No. I said, so why don't you tell them? Because it's the right thing to do, because it can. Um, my daddy told me I used to like to push the bubble when I was young. And he said, you're lucky you're alive. And we all, we're all lucky we're alive. Uh, I use I use driving. You know, we're 2022. If you go back uh, 100 years and they were driving vehicles around, they didn't have the road bikes and, and all of the things, uh, the traffic signals, the warnings. And I told them, I said, you know, that six-inch line going down that road is PPE. And you're praying that the people that are coming directly at you five feet across that line in a 4,000-pound vehicle understand that PPE. And, you know, I've been training a long time. And you have to get training basic. You have to do it in a fashion that people want to hear the information you have. And then you give them methods to digest it and evaluate it so they can see how much it's worth to them. Uh, and it can be challenging. There's a, there's an art to training. And there's an awful lot of that go out there and they want to rush right through it. H2S is one of them. You'll see people still doing a 15 or 20 minute training on hydrogen sulfide. The ANSI program that will be used by all the OSHA contacts I've talked to will be what they use for evaluation, for enforcement, and their investigations. And that program, while it's voluntary, says that you're going to train people up to certificate level. They say that certificate level should be around three to four hours. And it also, in 2017, when they revised the program, they gave the trainer the opportunity to mold the training to the jobs that the people would be performing. And so I can go into a facility and probably train those people for an hour and a half or two hours. When we get done with this, I'll go to a pipeline company. I know where they're going to be working. I know what the concentrations of H2S are in that county. I know their their hazards and, and how to address it. But there's an awful lot of people out there that either knowingly or through ignorance do the wrong thing when they're training. 
Uh, Usually it's become... like a system. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm, I was just thinking about that. Um, you you mentioned that um, with people, sometimes I believe they're, they're so stuck on their system or they're trying to get uh, like uh, they may not have even created the course. They're, they're just teaching something else, someone else's material when they don't know the understanding of the material. They're just looking for another output, uh, another way to make money or something. But the training isn't quality. That's that's my 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 view, but I'm not too sure if if you see it the same way. No, no, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I uh, Susan Harwood must have been a a good woman and had a whole lot of money. There's an awful lot of grant training that's done, and the grants are through the Susan Harwood Trust. I went to one. I guess it's been about four years ago. Uh, it was Hazmat, Train the Trainer. That's a, a pretty in-depth training. It was two days. The trainers, one from California, one from New Jersey, had never worked together, had not used the training material, and I left there with a book that I had no clue what to do with. Wow. You won't find my resume that I'm a trainer, the trainer on Hazmat. And at, at the close of it, you know, y'all remember when you fill out the evaluation that if you don't give us real good marks, that you won't get any more free training. Mm. And to be honest with you, that's fraud. It's a sham. Uh, I sent through another one. And it dealt through it dealt with uh, ASCOM and how the COVID had affected it and how to handle it. And there was nothing different in what they were training than what we were supposed to be training starting in 2013. Well, Jesus truly advanced this then. <laughs> there should have been some new training. Well, sure. There's people that can stand up there and represent it, possibly because they don't know any better. Uh, when I started in 1972, OSHA was two years into its infancy, and there was little or no presence. Uh, safety was wear your glasses, wear your hard hat. They were Buddy Holly glasses that didn't fit. People wouldn't use and it just, it was a, a very peculiar world. I, I saw two instances personally where they brought people out of, <coughs> excuse me, confined spaces because the person had, had opened the wrong valve to purge the vessel and be ventilating it while people were inside there. And what they ended up doing was opening the nitrogen, so they ended up killing the, the people inside. Um, I saw that personally. Well, asphyxiated them. Long ways. Hmm. Wow. You have seen some stuff. I had I've a, seen a lot. 
Yeah, I had another question that came up and um, and I know with hydrogen sulfide and your passion, a lot of people don't understand that sulfides, even in 100 parts per million, yes, you could survive, but it's still iffy. But then when you get beyond that, uh, then it is almost a certain death. So they don't even, um, the companies know the responsibility, but sometimes when the workers are, are on their own, they may forget about that. Uh, it's really amazing what hydrogen sulfide could do to you when you, when you amass those concentrations. Hydrogen sulfide at 0.13 hits the nose. At 100 parts per million, it will paralyze the olfactory nerve and kill the sense of smell. They teach people, if you smell rotten eggs, yeah. I tell people, you know, I guess my mama shopped at a different grocery store. I never smell rotten eggs, but I know what sulfur smells like. And H2S smells like sulfur. But also, when you start getting into that, anything that has to do with exposure, the concentrations that people are hit with, and then human physiology. And what people don't understand is your physiology, your bodily makeup, can change three times during the day. You may wake up incredibly strong as far as your physiology, your your ability to adapt at concentrations of exposure, and then get weakened when you go and you eat your lunch. You may build back up. But what what can affect me at a hundred parts per million may affect you at sixty. Mm-hmm. They they actually have. Uh, masks that have filters on them, cartridges that are good for H2S working environments up to 90 parts per million. But who's to say, first of all, that your your physiology can handle 80 parts without being affected? And who's to say that the, the wind that may be bringing that H2S uh, is bringing something that's a thousand parts, which brings about what's called DRT dead right there. Yeah. The DRT for the individual can be at 600 parts instead of a thousand. And so it's a, it's a really crazy thing. Uh, is I use a lot of demonstrations. I probably talked to over 2,500 people in 2014 uh, doing presentations. They can be found if you Google me or Five Star on on the internet. And in doing so, you know, people are they're kind of bashful when they get into a group of people. Mm-hmm. It's like trainers. Nobody on a trainer. Most people are a little self-conscious. They're a little nervous about getting up there and doing what they need to do. And we go through that when I do my instructor development. But they'll end up coming up to me after the presentation and give me a either first-hand or very close second-hand story 
about an H2S event most of the time, fatalities. I first started training this about 12 years ago, I think it was. Frank Perry was my mentor, and if you Google him, he was Mr. H2S. He, he just, he's an incredible man. Um, and in doing so, I, I started trying to find H2S fatalities. People in our business learn that the people that we're training, the people that we're trying to take care of, learn from bad things happening. And the closer that bad thing is that happens to you, the more impact it's going to make. And so I was studying and trying to find H2S fatalities, and they were hard to find. So these people, their information was a wealth for my training. And then I started delving deeper. I was actually diagnosed uh, a number of years ago of having stage four asbestosis. Wow. So you go through the nights of not sleeping and saying, you know, am I going to wake up in the morning? You know, from asbestosis, you actually drown in your own fluids. Ugly, ugly death. Yeah. Um, but I ended up going to a specialist in San Antonio, and in doing so, did the x-rays, and he did the tests, and he told me, he said, you you don't have asbestosis. Oh, thank you. Would it been you about tissue, you know? But um, I told him, I said, maybe you can help me, because he's a pulmonologist, he's a specialist. And I asked him about H2S and why it was categorically misdiagnosed. And he told me, he said, you know, it's interesting that you asked me that because I've been asked on four occasions to be an expert witness. And I told him, I said, you know, one thing that I've been told is because they don't do tests on you, and I'm talking about the coroner, to find the cause of death, when they finally do that, H2S has made its way out of your system. And so... How long does that take usually? It depends on the body. Okay. Uh, you know, you, you look at shows that show people that have been exhumed. Those people, you know, when we get sent to the happy hunting ground, they make you look like a movie star. Uh, might be the best you ever looked in your life. And when they dig, you you fingernails that go to your nose and hair, you know, you just, so obviously the body doesn't quit immediately. And it's going to depend a lot on your, your makeup. You know, if you have a liver that actually is the filter and screens the blood that is hampered because of a lot of alcohol, maybe you've done liver damage, doing uh, prescription medication, uh, wrong. It depends on your body. And so it's, it's hard to say. Yeah. It can take hours and days. But the bottom line is, because of that, the end in the chain of an H2S event causing fatality is cardiac arrest. Hmm. H2S is 
replaces the oxygen carrying capability in the bloodstream. And so all of a sudden you're not oxygenating the brain. And so the brain says, you know, we've done all we can, turn out the lights, the party's over. And so they they send a message to the heart. Heart says, well, okay. And it shuts down, and now, you, now you've died of cardiac arrest. Mm-hmm. Um, talked to three different oceanal, ocean regional directors, and now they, as their protocol, have someone that dies, especially out in a place like uh, in the oil field or in remote areas, they take body fluid samples immediately upon time that it gets into the into the morgue. Now they have what they can start running through the, the gas chromatographs and and things that will read percentages out to the ten thousandths. Um, some really sophisticated equipment. And now all of a sudden, and, and I know you know, I think it was about 2016 or 17, the especially refining worlds that people are going out there and they're popping hatches and getting hit with fumes, vapors, that kind of stuff. They had people that were dying. Some of them were unexplained. And so they started doing testing on it. And there's there's no telling how many people have died in the past, um, either chemical poisoning through vapors or fumes or from hydrogen sulfide. Yeah. Um, Test for it, so you never know. No, you don't. Mm. You don't. But bottom line is if you want to live to be old, I'm old. I'm 73. Uh, I got some rough miles on me, but you know, I'm still kicking. Uh-huh. Uh, if you want to, you better be smart. This episode has been powered by Safety FM. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast or broadcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within the past hour are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast or broadcast may be reproduced, stored within a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast or broadcast, Sheldon Primus.